kind of a bit of an introduction, and you'll get the idea of the theme where I'm going to be taking us um, this evening. So, what's uh, Roger Federer, Usain Bolt, Mo Farah, Venus Williams, and Steffi Graf got in common? They're champions, yeah. And obviously, they are people. Okay, uh, you could have got that one right. Um, they were all number one in their sport at some point in their professional sporting career, ranked number one in the world. What's Brian Adams, Wet Wet Wet, Queen, the band The Queen, and Whitney Houston have in common? They've all had number ones, they're musicians, but actually they're in the top ten of artists spending the longest amount of time at number one in the UK charts. What links Apple, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft together? The internet. Yeah, I suppose it connects them together. Smarty pants. Um, actually, they're the top four of the most valuable brands in the world. Number one, whether you like it or not, grabs our attention. The Guinness Book of Records produces its annual book just before Christmas. It's all about number one records. They've never released a book called The Guinness Book of Things That Are Second. In motorsport racing, the cameras always tend to follow the, the, the drivers at the front of the grid. Very rarely do you see what's going on at the back. They follow the leaders. In tennis, the tournament at Wimbledon, the top-ranking players tend to play on centre court or court number one as they are the players that actually people want to really go and watch. In fact, those courts have the most amount of seats available, so spectators stand a chance of being able to go and watch these top-ranking players. And we also remember who came first, so even years after the events. So already 15 years ago, the Beijing Olympics took place. Who won the men's 100-meter race? Usain Bolt. I thought loads of voices would go, Usain Bolt. This is really going to kind of then kind of spoil the next question. Who came second? You can't remember who first is. Let's just forget about who came second. Actually, second was a guy I've never heard of, Richard Thompson from Trinidad and Tobago. All right? Some of you remember first place, okay? Or in the boat race last month, I didn't even realize it had taken place this, this year already, but Cambridge took the title, but who came second? <laughs> I was just checking. I was just checking to see who was still with. I almost put who came third, just to really confuse you. But, but no, Oxford came second. And if you're thinking, I've got no idea what you're talking about, there's always just two teams, all right? Not so much these days, because the whole music industry has, has really changed and shifted because of technology. But when I was a lad, um, the UK music charts was another way of waiting to see who had reached the dizzying heights of number one in the charts. Who used to listen to the charts? They still technically exist, but it doesn't make any sense anymore. All right, so I can remember in my teens that it would used to be on um, Radio 1 between 4 and 7 o'clock each Sunday afternoon. This was the days, and anyone under the age of probably 25 are going to go, what? This is the days before internet. What? No streaming of music. Hey? No digital downloads. This was raw. This was pure stuff, all right? So you had to listen to the chart show to know who was going to be number one. At around 6.55, it would be announced a new number one, and I would try. I mean, I wasn't listening to it every single week, but I was kind of songs that would come out. I'd think, actually, I want to hear where they are in the charts. So in 1994, I mentioned before, Wet, Wet, Wet were at number one for 15 weeks. 
with which song? Love is all around, based on the film of Four Weddings and a Funeral. We can tell which, yeah. The song of Love All Around, this is such an exciting song where it talks the lyrics, I feel it in my fingers, I feel it in my toes, love is all around me, so the feeling grows. After being at number one for 15 weeks, you were desperate to find out who would be the new number one. Please let there be a new number one. But I never thought about rushing to the radio and turning it on at like 4.37 in the afternoon to find out who number 32 is in the charts. (laughs) The top 10 to number 1 was the important thing. That's what grabbed people's attention. Number 1 is so important in this world. Human beings either strive to be number 1 or are intrigued to see who number 1 is. People can go actually even further by idolizing or worshipping things or people that are number one. And actually, I could do a quick example in this room. Who has ever said, in fact, no, who owns an iPhone here? Show of hands. And I know there's already a guy at the back who's going to have his hand up for this because the way he responded to having an iPhone. Who in this room that owns an iPhone has ever said, I could never change from having an iPhone? You idol worshippers, you. All right? But actually, it's an example of how these things get into our head. This iPhone is the thing that I must have. And I'm not saying because you've got an iPhone, you are worshipping it, okay? Um, you might like the functions and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm a Samsung. I worship... No, I don't. All right, Samsung. All right, but actually, when it comes to things, we get caught up with the kind of... We're told who the number one brand is. We're told by advertising, this is the thing that you must own. Forget about the iPhone 13, go for the iPhone... Is it 14 now? Yeah, okay. And when the 15, and all they'll tell you is it's got a faster processor and the camera's better. That's all they tell you. But actually, you must spend £1,000 with me to have it. And that's how people get caught up into debt and all the other consequences. Ah, anyway, I'm going off the, off the queue here. But actually, it just shows that, that actually pursuing number one, it can grab our attention. It can take all our focus on what, what is it that I must pursue, that I'm being told I must have, I must own. So stepping away from all that for a moment, attempting to be number one can also have a really ugly side to it. It's an ugly side that actually looking at the real world around us and also looking at the history, the power struggles with empire buildings. Empire building, not buildings, that's in New York. Government coups, corruption, world wars, you name it, it's about actually becoming number one. Technically, that's what it's all about grabbing more land, invading another country. We're seeing that with the Ukraine. It's all about actually power grabbing. It's about actually, I want to have more land. I'm going to be number one. That's what this ugly side to it does. In the US, we'll just pick on the US because they're easy to pick on. But minority groups that sadly still exist today, the KKK and other white supremacy groups, believe that somehow people of a different color skin or people that are labelled immigrants, are inferior and not welcome in their country. They only want to be a white nation, which for them, in their thinking, indicates that they're then a superior nation. That's a corrupt and evil belief. But that's what can happen when people are raised and educated in a way that says, actually, your life is more important than somebody else's. And that, folks, is where the gospel flips that all on the head and say, actually... 
our lives a lot, number one, because actually it's Jesus that is number one in our lives. And we want to serve him and worship him. But hopefully you're getting my point tonight that number one plays a massive significance in this world. So even when God created first male and female, Adam and Eve, the, the real tragedy before even sin came is the fact that they were already in perfect communion with God. There was no sin. They had everything they wanted. They were 24-7 with their heavenly father. They didn't need anything else. Yet, there was a lie of the devil that said, if you took the fruit from the tree of knowledge, then you can become your own God. And I think, sadly, particularly for young people are being exposed time and time again about actually how to become your own God. And that's why we need to have a voice as a church, is to be able to say, no, actually, it's Jesus that is our Lord and Savior. All this business about you can become your own God is idolizing yourself. And it's all about, actually, a lie that is being threaded through to people of all generations. So this drive to be number one can change people. It can also destroy relationships. And that's what happened with the Adam and Eve story is the fact they had to be separated and actually banished from the Garden of Eden because holiness of God and sin cannot be together. So what about you and I? If you identify as Jesus in this follower, not Jesus, if you, if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus today, please do not go around and say, I'm Jesus, yeah, all right? That's what Nathan, please do not tell Chrissy that, all right? Um, if this is being recorded, Martin, cut all that bit out, all right? Anyway, so if you're a follower of Jesus today, we need to consider our attitudes. We need to consider our hearts, our minds, our soul, everything about us, about actually how we put that all into action in the way we live out our lives. Because whether you like it or not, people are watching you. Hopefully not 24-7, that's quite creepy, but actually... People are in your workplace, at home, wherever you are, and whatever you get up to, if people know you're a follower of Jesus, they'll be watching you. That sounds really sinister. Sorry, I didn't mean to come across like that. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says this, but seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So when it says seek, seek means to strive for. It's a desire to possess and to look for. So Jesus is telling the people listening to him back then and to us today to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what he wants us to do. And if you leave, when you leave tonight, that's that's the main thing I want to help you to kind of remember tonight is seek first the kingdom of God. Repeat that in your week. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say seek second or seek every other Thursday. He is making a point to his followers, we must strive to fix our eyes on him under all circumstances, under every moment of our lives. It's about putting the kingdom of God first. It's desiring to encounter him each and every day. So before we look at the kingdom of God, because when you hear the kingdom of God, it can be like, well, what does that really mean? And I'll unpack that a little bit in a moment. But I just want us to look at the surrounding, kind of what's going on around that verse. Because the verse begins with, but. 
seek first. So whenever you see in the Bible the words that says a verse beginning with words like therefore, nevertheless, or in this case, but, you need to look back at what is mentioned before. Okay, you then get around the context of actually what is being spoken about. And the audience listening to Jesus originally is a multitude of people on a mountainside. And it's also known as the Beatitudes and, and all that kind of stuff. He talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, being salt and light, love your enemies, to name a few. And moving on to chapter 6, some of the things Jesus highlights are this. So in verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, When you do a charitable deed... Do not make a song and dance about it. That's my paraphrase. Verse 19 to 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. And then verse 25, do not worry about your life, because even worry and anxiety can become number one in your life. Even those things can take over your lives. And then that's when Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus is saying here for us that in life, he's encouraging us to put aside everything else and seek first, number one, the kingdom of God. That's easier said than done, though, isn't it? Who's already thinking about what's happening this week? Anyone? Okay, only Andy looks forward. <laughs> All right? When I said, when do the children go back to school, Mel said the date straight away. When it comes to next week, Mel, where are you? Will you be thinking about school? I'm not thinking about school now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We naturally think about what's going on ahead. And that's, that's okay. That's all right, because we need to sometimes future plan and just consider what's going on. But isn't it easy that worry or fears or anxiety or doubt can actually then creep into our lives? And when that starts to creep in, what starts to happen? It starts to fill our minds. It starts to fill our hearts. And then everything about our relationship with Jesus, it begins to kind of shrivel up a bit because our attention is turning more towards what things are bothering us or concerning us. And what Jesus is saying here is seek first him. Seek first the kingdom of God. And don't be afraid to say that out loud or say it under your breath because what it does, it sometimes wakes you up. That's what I do. When I'm out walking, that's what I say, because I need to realign myself that actually what is truth? The truth is that I'm actually a son of the creator of the universe. I am in his hands. He tells us not to worry. Which is a constant battle, because we live in a broken world. But actually, I know where I'd rather be standing, and it's standing in the presence of God than standing and trying to figure out how I go through life on my own. We need the presence of God wherever we step. So, what is the kingdom of God? And there's lots of other things we can go into, but I just want to try and summarize it a little bit for you. All right, so simply, the, the kingdom of God is it's like God's reign and how his purposes are made apparent. So, under the kingdom of God, there's justice and righteousness, there's hope for the poor and the oppressed. Mercy and forgiveness take precedence over bitterness and resentment. 
So what does the world teach us? Be bitter and resent and get your own back, revenge, all that kind of stuff. But God's kingdom is opposite to what the world says. And people that previously deemed to be far from God are brought into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. So if you know Jesus, we've been adopted into his family. That's worth a smile on your face. That's amazing news. We've been adopted. And it's never going to fade away. It's for eternity. So in the fullness of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, it's not merely expressed as a way for people to escape an evil world when we die. So it's not like, I just want to get through this life, just want to get through this life, and then everything will be good. No, he encourages us to, to walk through this life. Carrying the armor of God wherever we step. That's why scripture is so important. It's to reinforce constantly who we are in Christ. Each and every day, it's like the armor of God. We can walk through this world with courage and with boldness because he's with us every step of the way. I know when I go through periods of time where I don't read the word of God, I start to shrivel up. I start to lose confidence. I start to kind of think, well, what's my relationship with God really like? Is there... And we start to doubt things. So actually, we need to build one another up. The word of God is like putting on the armor of God each and every day. So the good news of God's kingdom is about the announcement of God's eternity moving into this present world. So whenever you hear someone pray, Lord, we want your kingdom to come, as what Jesus was um, teaching people earlier in scripture. It's like, yeah, we need the kingdom of God. We want the kingdom of God in our meetings. We want the kingdom of God in, in whatever we're doing as a church in the week. We need the kingdom of God in our workplace, in our schools. We need the kingdom of God in our households. We need the kingdom of God because we know there's a broken world and the only one that can change lives is Jesus. That's what we believe. But I often have to ask myself, but do I really believe it? Because I take my eyes off him. And that's why realigning, like when we were singing before, it realigns us with him. That's why we do church together, folks. He created the church for us to be a body together to encourage and build one another up, but also to ensure that actually we're preaching the good news. Because the good news isn't just for us. Did you know that? Just checking, all right? It's for others. That invitation is for others. We are the hope of the world because we bring Jesus into our conversations. We bring Jesus into our circumstances. We bring Jesus into places where there's so much hurt and brokenness. We desperately need to see more of God. Don't we? Definitely. So we live our lives wanting to point people towards Jesus even when we experience our own struggles and battles in life. We may personally, as I say, we still live in this broken world. So we may personally have to deal with financial difficulties, struggle with mental and physical health problems. You may have responsibilities for loved ones, whether that's your spouse, children, older parents, or significant others, which is tiring, exhausting, and it consumes time. Your responsibilities at work, or the stresses of trying to find a job. It could be taking exams or waiting for exam results. It could be a leaky tap or a leaking roof. Things 
can really have an impact on us. And then it continues. You have battling loneliness, boredom, depression, anxiety, or just having this overwhelming feeling of emptiness. I'm such a cheerful soul, aren't I? (laughs) But this is real life. Disappointments happen. But do we let that be the thing that we put on and wear and go, well, this is me now? Or do we say, no, no, this is happening, but I'm going to put the armour of God on. I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to seek, I'm going to make a choice to seek the kingdom of God. And sometimes we can overcomplicate it, but all you can do, or the simplest thing you can say is, Lord Jesus, I need you today. He knows what you're facing. He knows what's on your heart. And a lot of the time, he's just waiting for you just to invite him into your situation. There's things I'm learning about my relationship with God over the last number of months in the sense of just kind of learning more and more. And often I think God sometimes is just kind of standing there in the corner of the room going, I'm here when you need, need me. Because what do I do in my life? My natural tendency is to try and fix it in my own strength, in my own way of thinking. I'm not the only one, please tell me. Is anyone else in here that does that? Yeah? And sometimes I go for option A, that's what I'm going to try and solve. No, it doesn't work. I'm going to go for my option B, and I'll go through, and then suddenly you have this moment where you go, I haven't gone to God. But he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't point fingers at you and say, at long last. I think sometimes as a heavenly, loving father, he's just there, I'm here, I'm ready, when you're ready. And I think we've just got to make sure we keep our eyes firmly fixed on him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 34 goes on to say this, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we know that God is saying, he's not saying, all your worries are going to be taken away, but he's saying, actually, you need to just focus on today. You need to be aware of what's coming up and so on and so on, but actually, don't worry about tomorrow or next week or next month. There's enough going on today. But the important thing for us is not to lose sight that if God can look after the birds of the air, how much more does he care and love you? I need to hear that myself. For us, it's important we don't allow worry, strife, or anything else in our lives to be number one. So when we wake up in the morning, and now almost the mornings are getting slightly warmer, if you've got something on your mind, I think that's when the enemy likes to attack, is to feed and let this fear or this thought grow and grow and grow. When I've lied there in bed, it it grows. But actually, if I go, no, I'm not going to allow that, I'm going to get up. Do you know what? My perspective suddenly changes. And when we do that, it's not like trying to do your things in your own strength, but actually give it to God first thing in the morning. doesn't matter if you're a morning person or not. God doesn't matter if 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 he hears it like, Lord, I trust you this morning, or Lord, I trust you this morning. So I sound like someone that's not very good in the morning is drunk, but, but actually... <laughs> sorry. But it's, for, it's important for us not to get caught up in the lies of the enemy to tell you, 
you've got to carry it all on your own. You give it to God. You right? What did Jesus say when he taught his followers how to pray? He said this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The danger is we allow our situations and circumstances to become number one. It's so easy for us to, for it to happen. But as we invite God's kingdom into the situation, as we invite God's kingdom constantly into our every single day, there is no comparison. It's powerful. If you think for a, for a moment, we come to not just the, our Heavenly Father, we also come to our Creator of the heavens and the earth. The universe began because He spoke. His voice is powerful. But somehow we belittle that. Let's get a fresh perspective of God. I read this out at the beginning and I said a small group this week. Martin and I have been chatting about it quite a lot. Um, trying to get him to remember some Bible verses in small group, eh, Martin? Yeah. Um, but in uh, Psalm 27, David is going through great opposition. But he wrote this in verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing is the main thing in our lives, which is to dwell in his presence all the days of my life. And verse 14 of that same psalm says this, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait I say on the Lord. And wait on the Lord at the beginning of that verse 14. Wait actually means wait in faith. It's not like waiting in a waiting room kind of for an appointment where you're just kind of flicking through a magazine from 1997 or just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm getting a bit bored. My appointment's late. It's not that kind of wait. This is waiting in faith. It's waiting in expectation that God's going to speak. Or God's going to bring about an answer. That God's going to bring direction. It says, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Dom, do you want to just come back up with your crew? And if you're able to, you just want to stand. Because I think there's a point of this. is that When we live a life like that, where we invite the kingdom of God in... Yeah, if you want to stand, if you're able to. It shows others that don't have a relationship with Jesus that actually your life, the way you're leading it, is different. It's attractive, even when you're going through struggles. But it is a case of putting Jesus first, number one, in every situation and circumstance in your life. It's inviting the kingdom of God into what you're seeing and facing. And what I just want us to respond to, and respond to, if you just want to just close your eyes for a moment and just, just think on this, because I think tonight, and as I was preparing this this week, there's some things that maybe God just needs to do in your life. It might be praying for freedom. And freedom because maybe there's things that you've been holding on to or things that have been kind of almost like closing in. 
You know those action movies when those walls start moving and you're feeling trapped? I just, it's like seeing God's hand coming and pulling you out of that. But it's about looking to him and saying, Lord, if that's what I need this, this evening is, is just freedom from whatever you're carrying. That's number one. Number two, maybe actually you need to lay down anything that's become first in your life that isn't Jesus. And this, I really want to just stress to you, this is not about putting on you that you should be ashamed of it or guilty or anything. This is not what it's about because that's not what our God is about. God is about revealing things in our hearts. And he may be just prompting you, just saying to you to this evening, hey, that's time to put that thing that you've really got on your heart, on your mind, that's consuming you, that's number one, that actually Jesus is your number one. And he just invites you, he offers, why don't you lay that down? It could be a really small thing, it could be a major thing, but maybe tonight God is doing something that just wants to bring about some freedom. And the third thing which links all this together, it's about putting Jesus first. Jesus. 